welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for V8 Race Manager, the new game available on iOS and Android. On this week's edition, the United States Grand Prix, Red Bull Racing trips over Red Bull Racing, and Ferrari goes full Ferrari. You never go full Ferrari. That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. My name is Michael Amanado, and joining me is, he's earned the title, friend of the show. Anyone who's on twice gets friend of the show, and he's been on twice. His name's Trent Price, editor of E-Racing Magazine and F1 freelancer. How are you? I'm good. A friend in need is a friend. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I think that's the most dramatic opening we've ever had to a, a strategy report podcast. <laughs> dramatic? So. It was subdued. Well, I mean, I thought, I thought it was an emotional one. I thought it was emotional. I thought it was good. The United States Grand Prix. We're getting very much to the pointy end of the season now. Only three races to go now that the United States Grand Prix is finished. Uh, unfortunately, not perhaps the most strategically thrilling of Grand Prix, but there was a lot of potential in it. A lot of things that could have happened and then did not happen. Such is the way of Formula One sometimes. Uh, critically, yeah. we'll just start very much by saying that Hamilton did win this race, which means the points gap has closed slightly. Mm. I'll get your opinion, first of all, on Nico Rosberg. He finished second. He's yeah. sort of got one hand on the championship still because he only has to do is finish second. Yeah. His mentality in this race, just generally speaking, do you feel like he's the kind of driver who's going to be racing for points? Well, uh, look, if you look at last year, mm-hmm. this part of the championship was where... Rosberg came alive, if, <laughs> if you will. Yes. Um, but I guess if you were to get into Rosberg's headspace, then yes, he probably is the kind of guy who mm-hmm. would go for points. There are two sides to Rosberg's, the many shades of Nico <laughs> Rosberg. And there really is a, a devil and an angel on each side. Mm-hmm. Or wouldn't I was such an angel and a devil, but an intellectual mm-hmm. and an instinctual Rosberg. Yeah. And they're often at odds with one another, depending on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So I think he's smart enough to realise that, okay, if I start driving for points, mm-hmm. then I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Because you start driving defensively and then you can find yourself way down the pack, mm-hmm. you know, for, for whatever reason. So, yeah, I think then it, but then to, you can't just go, right, well, I will be instinctual then. Yeah. But then it just goes against that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably going to be a, a bit of a mind screwing sort of situation. (laughs) Yeah, this is probably where he's going to be at his most fragile, even Mm. though he's got that points deficit again. He had that earlier in the year. Absolutely. And look what happened. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, it's for him to lose. You know, Mm. Lewis is, it's very clear for him where where there is no options, there is clarity. Mm -hmm. So all Lewis has to do, I just need to win races. Yeah. So there's a lot of clarity there for him. So... I guess you could say Rosberg's in a lot of trouble with such a <laughs> such a massive points lead. With more than a race victory's worth of points, he's yeah. uh, in enormous pr- trouble this yeah. season. Well, we'll see how it goes. That's the background of this race. That's the background, certainly, of the, the next couple of races, the last few of the season, the context against which it's being fought. And that is interesting because, as we'll see throughout the course of this episode and throughout the rest of the season, it's made that a little bit more difficult. Because once upon a time in the last couple of years, if we said, well, you know, all Rosberg has to do is finish second, you'd say, well, even if he didn't have a great race, the mm. Mercedes car would be enough probably to finish second most of the time yeah that's not really the case this season as we'll see and it all starts in qualifying mm. for races now certainly now that we've got the three tire rule with Pirelli Q2 mm. has become slightly more alive because mm. teams seem a little bit more willing to do the alternative strategy in Q2 Q2 is of course where you choose the tire you start the race on yeah and we've seen a couple of times this year Red Bull in particular gambling that this time only mm. Max Verstappen and the two Mercedes drivers opted to get through to Q3 on the soft tire rather yeah. than the super soft. Mm. 
we haven't really seen, I think almost at all this season, though, that actually turn into a viable strategy. You're a little mm. bit surprised they keep trying this, given that it also seems that the two softest compounds Pirelli bring don't have a huge amount of difference at most tracks between them. Yeah, they don't provide a lot of difference, but I guess circuit to circuit, you just don't know. And depending mm-hmm. on if there was rain the day before and the track is evolving, whatever what way it is, maybe there is a little bit of difference to be had. Um, and I guess what we saw with, with Daniel in, in mm-hmm. Q2, he, he was able to get the Supersofts to, to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, it depends on the driver too. Mm-hmm. You know, Normally you might go, well, it's not really an option. It just depends on how confident you are as a driver mm-hmm. and whether you can get that to work. And some teams might just opt for that given that the, the the relationship they have with their driver plus also you, you've got to also take into fa- uh, fact that there are a lot of teams which just aren't vying for the championship mm-hmm. so they're sort of willing to try anything so yeah. they'll just keep rolling that dice in the hope that well look it didn't work here but who's to say it won't work again mm-hmm. you know and, and if you look at uh, i guess the course of a championship you can't say as a given well that's not going to work again it's like a, uh, it's, it's almost like a, a large version of a race weekend. Like a, a race mm-hmm. weekend could be a microcosm of a championship where you go, you know what, oh, the circuit didn't work today. Mm. And a lot of people start making changes and then the circuit changes and all of a sudden there's a moving target. So they've lost their reference point. Mm-hmm. So maybe these teams don't want to get rid of that reference point and just sort of try something and then keep having a go at it. And then all of a sudden you have that eureka moment mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the setup they were trying as well. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, there's so many factors that are taken into account and um, I don't know what I'm talking about. My head's <laughs> exploded and I have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's interesting you say about the trust in the driver because we've gone through this phase, we're still mm. in this phase really, it's part of strategy, yeah. where you can choose this alternate, alternative tyre in Q2. Mm. But for some drivers, and I talk specifically here of Ricardo, it's almost mm. like a post-Q2 strategy moment where he's yes. gone... We could do this weird strategy or mm. this alternative strategy, but actually, I'm going to double bluff everyone and use the tire everyone expects us to use. Use the super soft, yes, because it, it, they're in such a mode. Red Bull Racing and Daniel Ricciardo in this form of confidence he's had lately, mm. where he's willing to try the strategy that's harder, and because it counts on him being more aggressive. This yes. entire super soft run counted him either getting on the front row and qualifying, mm. Mm. or trying to overtake both Mercedes cars at the yeah. first turn. Yeah, which which really speaks to the the method Red Bull's taking to races as distinct mm. from say ferrari for example who are much mm. more conservative mm. i mean well that's the thing we've only daniel and probably uh, alonso are the probably mm. only guys we've seen try that move at the start of the race after mm-hmm. turn one and you're at a high fuel load and you're looking at someone like rosberg and you, you look at every time he starts he's very cautious going mm. into turn one he's usually not very aggressive it's lewis is the guy who's yeah, aggressive yeah. whereas obviously at texas turn one there's a lot of space on the outside, so you can go around the outside. But more importantly, it's a raised mm-hmm. section. You go up. Yeah. So that weight that you would have actually, it's not there. Mm-hmm. If, if anything, you've actually got a, light, you've a lighter car. So you actually yeah. go later on the brakes than you would think. Whereas some of the field is still thinking, oh, I've got to be careful going into turn one. Yeah, whereas yeah. the smart drivers or aggressive drivers mm-hmm. realize, that, no, you don't need to do that. And that's one of the few corners where we can be aggressive. Mm. So, yeah, if you've got that confidence, you can make that work. It's sort of the inverse of La Source from Spa, for yes, example. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's interesting, just listening to that and thinking about that, the idea that a strategy in modern-day Formula 1, everything's so technical, is like, 
you should try to overtake the most cars you can is essentially the strategy being used very straightforwardly here. There's nothing clever about it. It's just, no, no, Daniel, just try and pass everyone on the first turn. Mm. And he had a go and he passed, as you said, Nico Rosberg. And this sort of leads into the race here because that was the... I guess, wrinkle in Rosberg's strategy here. This was the one that was meant to unfold over the course of the race. We'll talk in a moment how that mm. didn't happen. But yeah, yeah. for the period after he passed and up to the virtual safety car, about three quarters through the race that undid this strategy, Ricardo in between the Mercedes cars seemed to be able to both manage the gap to Hamilton in front and very confidently keep Rosberg behind him. Yes. Is this, I guess, a case of Red Bull having now a car that is very closely matched to Mercedes, which we've known for a little while now? Or is mm. it, again, virtue of that idea that the Mercedes cars, when it has to follow someone, mm. are just not that great, and the key really is just being in front of them? Well, historically, that that's always been the case with Mercedes, mm-hmm. because, and, and, and people sort of talked about, like, oh, well, you know, why don't we have reverse grids and whatever, but then... Maybe it wouldn't benefit Mercedes. I and mean, we have seen Rosberg come through the field mm-hmm. on occasions, yeah. but he's usually made a meal of, of some of the moves. He's had mm-hmm. to do a bit of a late, late dive or a desperate attempt to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it, that, that car is built to lead from the front mm-hmm. and probably nothing else. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's what it's designed to do. Whereas Red Bull, probably they don't have that outright pace that Mercedes have, but they have a very manageable car yeah. in traffic. So... I guess they were able to, or more importantly, Daniel was able to manipulate that situation mm-hmm. where he was able to hold station and then back Rosberg up for Verstappen yeah. to a point as well. He just played the ultimate rear gunner, but being in front. Mm-hmm. How valuable is it? And it's something we, I guess, tag a lot of drivers with from time to time. There's not a lot of consistency in the way we describe it, but a driver who can manage their tyres really well in a situation like this because mm. part of Ricardo's strategy to start on the super soft, yes, was about passing and, and being confident he could be very close to the front, but yeah. he felt that the long run pace of the super soft compared to the soft mm. wasn't that different. And he stopped on lap eight to change off the super softs and the leading Mercedes stopped on lap 10, 11. So only two laps later. Yeah. And it was enough to trigger those stops. Mm. How important is that skill especially i guess in modern day formula one to manage the tires more than just be fast on them mm. daniel's always been very good at that I and mean, we saw that mm. in 2014 when he debuted against uh, vettel yeah in the same team and he would at, at times he would start a country mile behind <laughs> sebastian and then pass him and mm. then pull out a gap and his tyres would still be in better condition than Sebastian. So that ability was there, although it hasn't really shown itself this year as much as it did that year compared Mm to uh, Verstappen. Actually, Verstappen's probably shown that he's probably a little bit better on his tyres than than Daniel, but it might lend itself to the type of circuit that they're on. Of course, Mm. a lot of wide expanses at Texas. You've got a lot of runoffs area. And the nature of the corners too means that you can open up the steering a lot. Mm-hmm. So you're not putting a, yes, there's load on the tires, but you can square off the car and open it up. Mm-hmm. So you're giving the tires an easier time. So obviously in practice, then you'll realize, well, actually, I can get a bit of pace out of these tires with that style and opening up the car mm-hmm. a bit more because he has it does slide the car or I guess manipulate the car on entry yeah. compared to some other drivers, as does Max as well. Yeah. But there's probably variance in their style which suits Max maybe on a tighter circuit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a larger circuit like this where you can square off the car, Daniel's probably doing quite well. 
This battle at the front, though, got undid by the virtual safety car. Ricardo had set himself up to do the undercut. He stopped off those new set of soft tyres, which was his second stint, Mm. on lap 23, and thereafter would attempt to make up the ground on Rosberg. We'll never find out whether or not that was going to work because Max Verstappen's car... Uh, had a transmission failure that resulted in a virtual safety car. Weird, though, that... I mean, this didn't directly trigger it at all, Mm. but that he made a stop immediately before his car failed. The stop he wasn't meant to make. He thinks he heard that he got called into his pit box. He didn't. He didn't press the pit confirm button either, which would at least have alerted the team to the fact that he thought he was meant to pit. I don't think we've ever seen this before, have we? No, I think he must have felt he was in Field of Dreams or something. (laughs) You're just hearing Kevin Costner whispering to him. (laughs) Come into the pit. If you go there, they will change it. (laughs) No, it was weird. And then he sat there for, what, 36 seconds or something. It was a long time to spend in the pits, yeah. Mm. Credit to Red Bull Racing. I guess they've done Mm. it once before where they weren't ready for tyres. They're a little bit better at not being ready for tyres these days. (laughs) But uh, he sort of had to stop and wait for the mechanics to move the wheel guns out of his pit box and then change his tyres and... It was a little bit confusing for everybody and it turned out somewhere along the way his transmission was damaged anyway. Mm. Some people would manage to hear it in the pit lane when he was making that stop. Mm. Car failed later on. Tried to bring it home, which is something that always makes you feel a bit uneasy when you see a really injured car, let's say. It wasn't damaged, so it wasn't yes. dropping anything, but trying yeah. to run on the circuit very much slower than everyone else and trying to bring it home, at which yeah. point he decided only a couple of corners away from the pit lane yeah. not to bring it home. I mean, what's you, I mean you, you have racing experience. I'll ask you from that point of view, to be an injured car on a track, on a live track, yeah. it's a bit of a weird situation. Well, I don't know. He, he's sort of been the current bad boy in F1, so he's probably <laughs> going for the whole Villeneuve-esque thing. I can bring this home on one wheel, you know, watch me. Yeah, I, probably. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was a bit, it was a bit weird. I mean, look, it could have been just whatever was broken. He thought that maybe mm-hmm. I could just bring it back and wouldn't just expire, but... For those kind of closing speeds, it's it's pretty yeah, it's pretty dangerous, and you never feel you never feel good when mm. you're, you're a bit of a sitting duck out yeah. there. Now the virtual safety car was brought in for safety purposes, a, but also as I guess an alternative to deploying the full safety car in a time when we need more safety on the track. Yeah. It's sort of redundant to say. Yeah. So I mean, it's worked from time to time. There have been drivers who have complained about. It. I think Carlos Sainz in Malaysia said. He didn't like it because some drivers took advantage of the fact that in a virtual safety car situation, you just kind of count on everyone driving slowly-ish. Driving at a certain time, as long as you stay under a del- or over a delta, I beg your pardon, yeah. you can, you know, sometimes you find drivers end up being closer to other drivers by the end of a virtual safety car. It's For imperfect. Sure. It's an imperfect science, essentially. It is, because by the time you call it, mm-hmm. and then by the time they stop, yeah, you know, it's like who's to say who's done what mm-hmm. at what speed and, and yeah. at what point of the track as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're a slower part or a faster part, there is a potential gain mm-hmm. over there than others. But I think, I guess, on on the whole, though, it probably is a better situation. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they had bunched up, then yes, Daniel may not have lost out mm-hmm. as much in terms of overall lap to yeah. Rosberg. But at the same time, who's to say that he wouldn't have missed a cut and he would have had more cars in between him? Absolutely. So I think it it does even out. I guess the alternative, if if you were arguing for a safety car perspective, is what we saw in Singapore where they had Mm. a safety car for only one lap. Or I guess ultimately less than one lap by the time the safety car came out and then 
return to the pits, I think, at the end of the same lap. And we mm. had, you know, some marshals or at least one caught unaware oh, yeah. still on the track. Yeah. Uh, obviously, no one in particular's fault. It was just happening so quickly that even mm. the commentators, whose job it is to be on top of things and, and commentate them, didn't realize the safety yeah. car was ending. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I guess there are plus and minuses to everything. But mm. it'll be interesting to see if this rule at some point does get tweaked for Formula One. If I mean, the drivers have all this power all of a sudden. We're having rules clarified every yeah. other weekend on the yeah. existence of the drivers. Grey rules moving under the mm. yeah, in the braking zone. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. one certainly being changed. Yeah. The Verstappen rule, I think, is going to be called from now on. Yeah, uh, That decided the top three, though, the virtual safety car, essentially. At that point, Rosberg and Hamilton were on the same strategy. And when you're in the same car, mm. there's not very much you can do if you're doing exactly the same lap times as your teammates. So Hamilton yeah. won fairly straightforward fashion for him. Ricardo had to settle for third. Uh, there were some interesting descriptions of Nico Rosberg on his team radio, which he just said were heat of the moment. And you can go and look them up yourselves because they involve swearing. Uh, <laughs> Ferrari was the team that didn't play a part in this yeah. race, other than yeah. obviously to finish fourth, which is fine for Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. Probably would have finished further back had Verstappen finished the race, but that's nonetheless. Yeah. Ferrari, we talk about races being a microcosm of the season. Yeah. This happens increasingly for Ferrari where... I mean, they have a, a weird strategy decision in America is a great example, and that mm. really has defined their season, making weird strategy decisions at key moments. Yes. We'll start with Kimi Raikkonen, who didn't finish the race, again because of the team. But first of all, he was put on a weird third stint on the super soft tyre for no real reason, the tyre that wasn't favoured by anybody. Yeah. Because the Ferrari team just doesn't really seem to like the medium tyre, which is weird because that's, I think, one of the most common tyres the sport uses because it's in the middle of the road. Yeah, but I suppose I don't know whether or not it applies this year too much. They've they've always sort of historically had a, a, an issue or recently of getting their tyres to work, mm. and that might have influenced their decision in yeah. terms of opting with that tyre just into overall lap pace, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the entire race. I, you know, I don't know, but uh, you have to say, I mean, being in America, the Americans have a famous expression of when you choke as you shut the bed. <laughs> 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 and they well and truly did that that yeah. weekend. Yeah. Multiple times. Multiple times. Multiple times yeah. because when they stopped his third stint, that yeah. wasn't going so well because it was a three-stop strategy for him or was meant to be had he finished mm. the race as opposed to Vettel's two. And you could argue that they were really just trying to move Raikkonen out of Vettel's way at one point mm. by stopping him for those super soft tyres. The mechanics at first seemed to have left a wheel gun on the wheel. That was the implication. There was no wheel gun on the wheel when he left the pit lane. It seemed that uh, possibly one of the nuts got cross-threaded or they didn't fasten it uh, securely enough, which of course... They claimed it was still attached when he left, but didn't really... Which didn't seem to be the case because none of the mechanics seemed to suggest in their body language that one of the wheel guns was not still in their hands Exactly. They weren't still attached to the car halfway down the pit road. So uh, a weird uh, call for Ferrari in that case. They were fined 5,000 euro Mm. for releasing the car unsafely, which is Mm. pretty standard these days if you release a car with a a loose wheel. Stranger still, though, not just the incident, but to see Raikkonen engage neutral and let his car roll down the hill into pit lane, which is... That in itself is probably more more of an offence. I would have thought so, right? (laughs) Very strange to see. And more strange still, though, and maybe this is an indication of... And no truck truck beep either. No, No. well, yeah, they could have added some in from the uh, FOM feed. But after all the effort to roll down the pit lane... Mm. There were no mechanics there to pick up the car. He just parked no. the car yeah. and, and got out. And that was the end of his race, mm. which is so strange considering all the hubbub from that pit stop. Yeah. Oh, maybe they would just all tuck it out. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, that's probably it. I mean, there is yeah. no better explanation for it. Everyone's so. pretty tired by the time they get to Texas anyway, and that's all that true. Cajun cooking, it's, no. <laughs> yeah, it's going to have an effect. Eating too much heavy food, yeah. I think, for Ferrari. That's <laughs> certainly one explanation for the way they've been tracking. A couple of other results from this race. Uh, perhaps one of the most important ones was Alonso versus Science versus Massa mm. uh, for places five, six, and seven. Quite high, actually, for, for that yeah. Alonso to finish fifth. Pretty yeah. good result for McLaren. And he had to, in the last uh, eight laps, I think it was, when he approached Massa and then Science to, to deliver those positions. Mm. Uh, some racing that excited him sufficiently to shout yeehaw at the top of his lungs through radio, somewhat maniacally, I think, as is yeah. increasingly becoming the way he does it. Uh, but a big result for McLaren, if not slightly controversial for the movie made on Felipe Massa to get there. Yeah, uh, and I guess looking back at it, it was pretty cheeky. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, we discussed before that the, the move that uh, Rosberg made on, on, on Raikkonen, mm-hmm. which race was that? That was at uh, uh, in Malaysia. Malaysia. Was Whereas I thought Rosberg was quite hard done by on that mm-hmm. because there was a big chamber, ca- camber change in that corner. He put the car in the position where he needed to. Mm-hmm. The car was well and truly level with Raikkonen, mm-hmm. but... Because of the load on the car, you can't exactly just make the car disappear. So he had to take his natural line out of the corner. Yeah. Whereas here in Texas, it was a really Mickey Mouse part of the circuit. There's mm-hmm. not a high load there. And Fernando pretty much had the position. All he had to mm-hmm. do was go up the middle of the road and he would have had it. Yeah. But he really ran Massa very, very wide and probably mm-hmm. didn't even need to touch him at all. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, to penalise Rosberg and not do that to, to Fernando is yeah, a bit bit odd, a bit inconsistent there. So, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting decision to say the least. Yeah. Uh, he passed Carlos Sainz on the last lap, which mm. elicited the aforementioned radio message, which we mm. can say on this program. Yeah. Uh, but Carlos Sainz, regardless of losing that place on the last lap, uh, we needn't forget that he's running a year-old Ferrari power unit in that Toro Rosso. Mm. The car's not scored that many points this year, certainly not as many as they'd hoped for, even with that power unit. Mm. He didn't get voted driver of the day. That goes to Max Verstappen despite retiring, but that's the, the allegiances of Dutch fans we have in Formula 1 these days. Yeah. It has to be he really should have been driver of the day, considering he oh. qualified 10th in a car that shouldn't have been there, finished 6th mm. in a car that certainly shouldn't have been there, which means he gained four positions by the end of the race. Yeah. Incredibly impressive stuff from him and that car. And in a reasonably high power circuit. Yeah. When you think about it as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, yes, it shows how much, I guess, the uh, the Honda engine has progressed mm-hmm. for Fernando to say, man, this Toro Rosso is so slow on the straights. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that in itself is to somehow manage the aero package mm-hmm. for that circuit. And, and, and Carlos has got the best out of that um, compared to Fiat. I mean, yes, they ran completely different strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I mean, Fiat really wasn't even there to be able to use that strategy. He didn't have the, yeah. he didn't have the, the position to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot like Daniel before him, Carlos finds ways of just rebuilding himself and, and creating mm-hmm. those building blocks and just methodically getting these results. You know, mm-hmm. he might take a step back, then, but the next race will seem to take another two steps forward. Yeah. And just his way of manipulating a car, which shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. should be giving these bigger teams, uh, you know, some real cause for thought you know like why, why haven't we got this guy in our books if not, yeah. not a first driver maybe a second driver you can yeah. get a sense that it's building to that in 2018 i think so he's not to. pretending that he's going to be at red bull racing let's be mm. honest there's no room for him at red no. bull racing no he's not going to stick around toro rosso forever mm. so we can only hope that he finds himself in a competitive seat what was really interesting about alonso science and massa though three very different teams at theoretically different points in their, say, evolution in these regulatory framework we're in at the moment. We know mm. 
Honda's problems with uh, McLaren. We know that Toro Rosso has a poor engine. We know that Williams is sort of not really developed the car very well this season. They mm. all ran similar strategies, stopping on almost the same lap on both stops for all cars. Mm. Ended up at pretty much the same point in the track by the end of the race, which really shows, A, how much McLaren Honda's progressed, yeah. but also just how competitive this midfield is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think it's more just that, that chassis... Mm-hmm. Um, an aero department at Toro Rosso just working overtime yeah. just to tread water effectively. Like they've, they're probably making a, a, a meteoric <laughs> rise, but we don't know. Yeah. We can't see that because of the engine. Yeah. Whereas Williams are probably, they, they're just falling backwards or they're just mm-hmm. sort of, the car's inconsistent circuit to circuit, mm-hmm. which is really, really surprising when you think about yeah. the people who have developed that car in terms of Pat Simmons at the helm. You know, you, you know you're going to have a really strong baseline, mm-hmm. but it seems like they've gone back two or three years where they mm-hmm. didn't know, oh, this circuit, maybe we're going to be okay, you yeah. know, and then pull something out of the bag, you know, where they had a little bit more consistency the, mm-hmm. the year after that, and they've just fallen back to that. I know, I know they were trying a new wing uh uh-huh. earlier and they they said that it was purely experimental mm-hmm. not developmental you know because they said that oh we were trying that on last year's car and mm-hmm. said, hey we'll we'll uh we'll use that for the 2016 car and, yeah. and likewise for next year but it hasn't really worked yeah so why would you put all your your faith in that so yeah it's, it's odd uh also kevin magnuson versus jolyon palmer was a flashpoint for this yeah. race yeah. palmer I've never heard him quite so angry. He's never been one to mince his words. But Again, over read radio, the notes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can go and check it out on YouTube. Uh, disappointed as well, and very openly disappointed that Renault didn't ask for Kevin Magnussen, who was ahead of him for most of the race, mm. to let him buy. Uh, yeah. It's interesting, I think, on two counts, because it's fair to say Renault's in an interesting situation with its driver lineup between the two of them, but also mm. that he was faster than Magnussen despite being on theoretically a slower strategy, a two-stop compared to Magnussen's three-stop. So Magnussen should have been in the same car, yeah. traveling faster. Should have been traveling faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by right of from that strategy, you wouldn't let Jolien pass. No. So they'd sort of stuff themselves, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and whether or not they knew that was going to happen, I don't, I don't know. Um, but he felt that he was held up for something like 30 laps. Yeah. Um, and how far down the road that could have taken him, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not that's worth anything to Renault, again, is another question you have mm-hmm. to ask. You know, this point of the year, like the, the, the year is pretty much a write-off. Yes. But at the same time, you don't just throw away championship points because they're worth mm. a lot, a lot of money. Absolutely. So, yeah, that debrief would have been pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And a final note uh, goes to Daniel Fiat, who we have mentioned briefly. He had mm. a one-stop, didn't get the results that Carlos Sainz uh, managed. Of course, Sainz mm. did qualify a lot better than Fiat as well. Mm. It was a weekend when he re-signed for Toro Rosso, which is something I think a lot of people didn't expect earlier in the year when he was yeah. really all over the place. Your take on Daniel Fiat, first of all. We know he's, he's got pace in him when he switched on. Mm. What do you think is going to happen to him next season? How do you think he's going to go, given that this race probably wasn't the weekend he would have wanted to say, that's why I've signed a new contract? Much of the same. <laughs> no, honestly, I think much of the same. Because mm-hmm. he's had so many flashpoints this uh-huh. year and, and peaks and valleys where he sort of had a carrot dangled in front of him and then they had the carrot taken away mm-hmm. and then he's had to use something else to motivate himself and yes. and talk to Franz Tost and say, oh, you know, the new future is in your hands and then he does well and then the next race it just falls away again. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do that. And yeah. effectively, he's beat uh, uh, Pierre Gasly in for the seat for next yes. year under the same guys. I mean, Gasly had a pretty bad race 
last where, where he had made a poor start in the mm-hmm. GP two race and, and and fell back through the field, which has effectively probably lost him the drive at Toro Rosso yeah. for next year. But then both drivers have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. So do you go with the devil that you do know is going to do that, or mm-hmm. the, the devil that you don't know is going to do that? Yeah, maybe Gasly would have been easier to mould because we sort of know what package Fiat is now yeah, yeah. because okay yes he's had the disappointment he's had the opportunity to rebuild himself but mm-hmm. then again he's sort of fallen away again whereas you only had to compare him to Carlos Sainz Absolutely. where he missed out on the drive initially at Toro Rosso and it was only by virtue of Verstappen going to Red Bull that an opportunity mm-hmm. arose he took that with both hands mm-hmm. and he's built on that consistently mm-hmm. not here there and everywhere yeah. or fall back one week back the other he's built on it Absolutely. And that's exactly what Fiat has to do. That should be the template, mm-hmm. not Sebastian Vettel or Daniel Ricciardo. That's fair. Sainz is the template, and he hasn't met that. That was the United States Grand Prix. Not the most fascinating strategically, but it gave us results worth thinking about uh, and certainly well, made for interesting podium interviews by the end of the Grand Prix. <laughs> Trent Price, where can people find you if they want more? Oh, you can go to eracingmag.com or pick up your local Rewind magazine if you're in Singapore, mm. possibly. There might be a few back in, the, in there. Oh, can't so, see why not. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Well, it's been and a little bit on the raw too, so, but, <laughs> but we know about that. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you on the program again. Thank you so much for joining me. Cheers, mate. That's all the time we have for this edition of the Strategy Report. But if you want to read more about the strategy of the United States Grand Prix, you can go to f1strategyreport.com and read Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Austin. Or you can search for F1 Strategy Report on Facebook and Twitter. Do you know your sporting regulations better than your average supercars team? If you do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, because it doesn't seem to make much difference, V8 Race Manager is the new strategy game available from Beer Mogul, and it's available on iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and be sure to join me in just one week's time when we look back on the Mexican Grand Prix. 